One, two, one, two. Okay, looks like it's on. All right, we'll see if it keeps recording. Uh, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are, God. We thank you for, again, this opportunity to come before you in prayer. We thank you how we can come boldly to your throne of grace. We thank you how we can break open your word, God, and see what you have to say. I pray that you'll help us apply our lives to your word, God, and that we will be a testimony to those around us, and we will represent you as we should, God, and that uh, we will live our life as holy, acceptable, and pleasing unto you. Be with us, God, as we look into your word today. Reveal yourself to us. Um, Soften our hearts, God, to be able to receive what you would have us to know. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we've been um, uh, doing kind of an unofficial series, I think it is. Kind of unofficial series about the word of God. And um, Minister Badia started off by showing us the significance of the word, um, how it is relevant for today, how it is sufficient, how it is all that we need uh, to survive and to live our life. And then uh, last couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, how the word of God is relevant for whatever situation that's going on and how our responses to world situations, to our lives, to whatever happens, our responses should be founded and grounded in the word. And we should respond to things as Christ responds to things, as the word responds to things. And so we're just seeing week after week how the Bible is our source of everything. It is our foundation. And we are to use it, to study it, uh, and to apply the principles to our lives so we can live a successful and righteous life. So we're continuing in that vein, uh, uh, just again, looking at the word of God, finding out more about the word of God. I feel that this is a time for us as the body of Christ to, to really get down to foundation as the world changes, as different things happen, to really look at what God says and what the word says and know how to function in this life by applying the word. So if you turn with me to 2 Timothy, um, Chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's in the New Testament. Uh, Timothy was one of Paul's pupils, one of Paul's students. And Paul wrote two books to him, or two letters. They're now books, but they were letters. First one was 1 Timothy, then 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy was kind of setting Timothy up as uh, the leader of one of the churches um, that Paul had established. And so he's given very specifics of what, how, what, what the uh, elder should do and what are the qualifications of an elder or, 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 or someone who's running the church. In 2 Timothy, he writes this as uh, Paul's uh, last book that he wrote. Um, he's writing this and he's getting to the end of his letter. And so picture this. Um, I believe Paul knew his time was coming. As you know, he was in Rome and uh, things had popped off and things were getting crazy and they were about to execute Paul. So I believe he knew his time was coming. Uh, and, and people's last words are very important. You know, very interesting. I wouldn't say important, but interesting to see what are the last things people say. What is the last word? What are the last phrases? And as Paul was ending his time here in the physical on this earth, about to embrace Jesus face to face, something he often talked about doing. Um, the last thing that he penned was the last part of this chapter, 
to, to uh, Timothy. And so it's interesting to see, okay, Paul's about to be out. He's had this incredible life, this incredible ministry. He's done all these incredible things. Uh, he's spoken to all these incredible people. He's started churches all over the known world at that time, in Asia and all those areas. And he was about to be out. And right before he left, he wrote one more letter to his boy who was leaving in charge of a whole bunch of stuff. And so it's interesting to say, okay, what was the last thing that Paul wanted to say? What was the last thing he wanted to get out before it was time to go? What was the charge that he gave Timothy? Now, he fully intended to see Timothy again because you look in chapter four, he tells him, listen, when you come see me, make sure you bring my coat, uh, bring my books, bring my parchments. So he fully expected to see uh, Timothy again. Uh, uh, um, but he knew, I think he really had an idea that this was around in the time when he was about to go see Jesus face to face. And so the last part of Second Timothy chapter four is where he said, OK, this is what I drop on you before it's time. And so Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in the first one, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so the last thing Paul told to Timothy was to preach the word. And there it goes again. The word. Preach the word. Um, it's interesting how he set it up too in verse one. In the presence of God and of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead in the view of his appearing of his kingdom. And so he kind of set the stage of how important this is. You know, it's, 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 it's of such importance that he's talking about being face to face in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And how that Christ is the judge of the living and the dead in view of the appearing of his kingdom. I give you this charge, this command. Preach the word. The word there for preach is caruso in the original language. It's interesting because the word has to do with a herald. I know what a herald is. So uh, think back with me in ancient times. Uh, the king would make a decree, right? He'll say, okay, everybody is going to wear pants on Tuesdays. No one should wear anything but pants on Tuesdays. So he'll write some, some decree. The king would write the decree in the land. And there was no internet or no phones uh, or, or, or no radio. So the only way for those rules or those decrees that the king set up to get out to the people was for this guy called the herald. And he'd come in and he'd be bad and bold. He'd come in on his horse to the town. He'd ride on his horse and he'd have his soldiers with him. And he gets out. And he gets this long little trumpet and it's like, duh, 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 duh. and he opens the scroll. Hear ye, hear ye, thus saith the king. And he would give whatever the message is, whatever the king wanted the people to hear, he would proclaim it. Now, the, the, the herald had to be a special type of person because sometimes those messages were 
wonderful, great, loving messages. The king says, no one has to pay taxes anymore for the rest of your life. Yay! And the crowd would cheer and be wonderful things. But sometimes the herald would say some things that the people didn't like. The king has declared that now everyone's going to get taxed double. Boo! Hiss! Hiss! So the herald had the responsibility to give the people exactly what the king, what the emperor, whatever the leader said. Nothing more, nothing less. Sometimes it was what the people wanted to hear. Sometimes it wasn't what the people wanted to hear. But his job was to proclaim the message of the king. That's the word that Paul used and talked to Timothy. He said, look, herald the word. Stand up and scream the word. Why? Because it comes from the king. The king has given us a decree. The king, God, the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, the judge of the living, the judge of the dead, in the appearing of his kingdom, he has given us a scroll. He has given us the word. He has given us, this is what I want you to do. These are the new rules. This is the situation now. It's in the word of God. And Paul told Timothy, herald it. That's it. Just herald what God says, the word of God. The command is to preach. Preach the word. That's the other thing. What is it that he is to herald? It's the word of God. That's all. Nothing more, nothing less. And our responsibility, the last thing that Paul was saying is preach the word. And so this, the word, is important. This, the word is what we need to hear and what we need to proclaim. So how do I do it? Or how are we supposed to do it? And what's the significance of it? Well, if you keep reading, preach the word, verse 2, and be prepared. I like that word prepared. That word has to do with um, uh, uh, urgency. So be ready. Be always prepared. The original word there has to do with to uh, lean on something or to stand on something. And the idea is like a soldier leaning on his post, standing at his post. So the soldier's responsibility is to watch, keep eye, be prepared. And so when the soldier standing on his post, post, I guess he's got his gun ready. Is the trigger on? Is the safety on or off? Depends on the politics. Should be ready. Everything should be ready. And so that shoulder, shoulder is ready for anything that pops off. Always prepared, always ready. Prepared means I got everything I need. Ready means that at a drop of a hat, I can go into action. That's what Paul used. He said, preach the word. Be prepared. When, Paul? In season and out of season. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's interesting because to preach the word in season and out of season means that when it's favorable or when it's unfavorable, when it's convenient or when it's inconvenient, when it's welcome, when people want to hear it, when people don't want to hear it, when it's unwelcome, when it's easy to do, when it's uneasy, when it's popular, when it's unpopular, when it's comfortable, when it's uncomfortable, when it's expected and when it's not wanted. The command is to preach the word. And that's interesting because that's more talking about other people. But if you take that and apply it to your life, I am supposed to respond to, listen to the word. And I need to be prepared to what the word is saying. Not only should we be prepared to preach it, we also need to be prepared to hear it and apply it to our lives, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable. See, there's going to be some things in life sometimes where it's uncomfortable to do the right thing. 
It's uncomfortable to see what God says about a matter and follow it. It's unpopular to see what God says about something and then, okay, I'm going to choose to go what God says on this one. Sometimes it's unpopular. Sometimes it's unfavorable. Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes it's hard. But the word says to preach the word in season and out of season. Let's look at the importance of the word real quick. There's some words. Uh, um, I, I, I like this. Martin Luther said this. Um, because of, I'm quoting him, because of the heresies that threatened the living apostolic message. So as the apostles were preaching, there was heresies. I know what a heresy is. Heresy is there's some truth, and then somebody take that truth and twist it a little bit and say, no, that's not right. This is right. And so what would happen when Peter and Paul and John and all the people were preaching and the apostles were preaching, there were other people on the side like, nah, they ain't right. This is what really happened. Jesus didn't really die. He was just really sick. Or, or no, nah, Jesus didn't raise from the dead. He gone for real. You can't see him. Or there is no resurrection from the dead. Once we die, that's it. So with all these little things going on, these heresies happening at the same time. And so what Martin Luther says that because of the heresies that threatened the living apostolic message, it had to be recorded in a book to protect its falsification. Because there were people, the apostles were preaching the word. There was other people saying, no, nah, that's not right. So they said, okay, you know what? We're going to record this in a book. So the apostles, the, the, the word of God is written in the book so that when falsifications come, when other people come with something different, when heresies pop out, when something comes up that's not right or don't sound right, our response is to take this book and line up that word with this word. And if it lines up with this written word, then it's good. If it doesn't line up with this written word, we get rid of it. And so it said it had to be recorded in the book to protect it from falsification. Preaching reverses this process, allowing the scriptures of the past to become the tidings of the present. I like that. And so those what the apostles was teaching, Peter, Paul, James, that was taken. The Old Testament, the prophecy was put in a book to preserve it. So we know exactly what was said, exactly what was going on. And now thousands of years later, I can take those words that are written on pages and turn them into life and living again. Because the word of God is living. And so I can know exactly what Paul was saying, exactly what Peter was saying. No matter what anyone else says, no matter what my heart says at times, I can take this living word and now bring it to life. The gospel has been committed to lifeless paper, but fresh words can transform it into glad tidings again. And that's the commission that Paul gave Timothy. Preach, proclaim, scream, herald the word. Now, I I saw this and it was interesting. There's some metaphors that describe the word of God. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 14. Jeremiah 5, 14. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. Chapter 5, Jeremiah was a prophet. Anybody remember what they call, what's Jeremiah's nickname? The crying prophet. The weeping prophet. He's crying all the time. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 14. Jeremiah 5, 14. Talk about the word of God. So what is this word that we need to proclaim, that we need to herald, that we need to preach, that is so important? That we need to be prepared at all times to go to the word and to say what thus saith the Lord. That we need to prepare to do it when we're 
feel like doing it, when we don't feel like doing it, when it's comfortable, when it's uncomfortable, when it's popular, when it's not popular. Well, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 14 says this. Therefore, this is what the Lord, all, the Lord God Almighty says. Because the people have spoken these words, I will make, watch this, my words in your mouth a fire. And these people, the wood it consumes. And so a metaphor to describe the word of God is fire. What does fire do? Fire burns stuff. Fire destroys. Fire totally annihilates things. I had a fire. My house caught on fire. I was taking a bath. Minding my own business. Finished, was drying off. Wrapped my towel around. Opened the door. I said, wow, it's really bright in here. <laughs> what happened? Turned left and I noticed my entire room was engulfed in flames. I was like, man. I should put that out. I don't get into my fire story, but I futilely, is that a word? Yeah, tried to put the fire out. I did that by throwing the towel at it. Yeah, that didn't, that didn't quite work. Uh, then I realized I'm about to die because <laughs> the house is on fire. But that's a whole other story. So I've seen fire up close and personal. And seeing what to do. All my possessions, everything I had. I had letters, I had a bass guitar, I had an amp, all my clothes, gone up in flames. Fire destroys things. The Bible describes the word of God as fire. We ought to be proclaiming the word of God as fire. There's some things in our lives that need to be destroyed. There's some things in our lives and our hearts that need to be taken care of. And only the fire of the word of God can do that. Word of God is fire. Turn me in Jeremiah, same book, couple of chapters over, chapter 23, verse 29. Jeremiah 23, 29. So we got the word of God is as fire. Word of fire in Hebrew is esh. I like that. I don't know, it's just trivia. In Jeremiah 23, 29. So we got the word of God as fire. What else, Jeremiah? 23, 29 says this. Uh, uh, um, I'll go to 28. Let the prophet who has dream, uh, has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord. Verse 29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces. So we got that the word of God is fire. We also have that the word of God is a hammer that breaks and shatters. There's some things in our lives that need to be shattered. Some things that we have built up, some things that we have uh, 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 taken time to construct that needs to be shattered. There's some things in the world that have been established that needs to be shattered. And how do we shatter those things? With the word of God. It's not my word like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. So we got the word of God as a fire. We got the word of God as a hammer. Turn with me to Hebrews, you might be familiar with that book, chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. So we got the word of God as fire. The word of God is a hammer. And I'm thinking like a sledgehammer. A big thing ready to test, test some stuff down. Hebrews 4, 12. 
For the word of God, you know this verse, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so word of God is fire. The word of God is like a hammer. And the word of God is like a sword. There's some things in life that need to be chopped up, sliced up. Some flesh that needs to be ripped into shreds. The word of God. And this is what Paul was telling Timothy. Preach the word. You see, fire, hammer, and swords can be used for destructive purposes because there's some things that the word needs to destroy. And how do I know what to destroy? How do I know it needs to be burned up? How do I know it needs to be cut up and stabbed up and sliced up? I look into the word of God. But at the same time, the word of God as fire, what does fire also do? Fire gives light. Fire purifies. Fire gives warmth. Fire cooks things, gives us food. So at the same time, it can destroy. It can also heal and it can also purify. At the same time, a hammer is used to destroy things and smash things. A hammer also can be used to build, to construct. And as a sword is used to destroy to slice up, to chop, the sword can also be used to defend. And so the word of God, the hammer, the fire, the sword, this is what Paul said, you should be screaming from the mountaintop, the word of God. Be ready and do it when it's easy, when it's not easy, when it's comfortable, when it's not comfortable, when it's popular, and even when it's unpopular. Responsibility to proclaim the word and to live by the word. We may need to, and, and, I, and, I, and I thought about this myself. This is very convicting to me. What are some things to, I needed to do a, we need to do a inventory, a life inventory. Okay, so one of the things I'm going to challenge you to do this week is to look in your life, take some time, put away the phone, put away everything, and just concentrate and think, okay, what are some things in my life that needs to be burned up? What are some thoughts I've been having? What are some decisions I've been making? What are some things that are going on in my life that needs to be burned up because it needs to be destroyed? What are some things in my life that needs to be smashed up? I've built this thing. I've done this thing. I'm leaning on this thing. I've constructed this thing. But this is wrong. This isn't right. It needs to be smashed up. It needs to be destroyed. And then what are some things that need to be just taken out in my life? And think about those things. And how do I know? Well, this is the foundation. This is the hammer. This is the fire. And this is the sword. And so take this and turn it into our lives and allow it to burn up anything that needs to be burned up. Allow it to smash anything that needs to be smashed. Allow it to slice and dice up anything that needs to be sliced and diced. That's what this is for. That's what it will do. And then our lives will be more pleasing unto God. Be prepared to do that. And so Paul is going to take it one step deeper. Preach the word. Be prepared to preach the word when it's popular, unpopular, when it's easy, when it's hard, when everyone's doing it, when everyone's not doing it. Preach the word. Be ready in season out season, and out of season. To do what does the word do? Well, he four things here. Two are negative and two are positive. And it's interesting. 
The first thing he said, verse 2, preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience, and carefully instruct. Four things. So what does those words mean? Well, the first one is rebuke, reprove, or correct, depending on what uh, a version you're looking at. The first one has to do with the mind. To reprove or to correct means to bring to light, to reveal hidden things. It has to do with the mind. The word has to do with uh, to scrutinize. So think of uh, someone with a magnifying glass or uh, what's his name? Watson, not Watson, um, Sherlock Holmes. So to scrutinize, uh, uh, to examine carefully, to dissect. Anybody dissected an animal before? You say dissect a frog. What do you do? Do you sit there? Oh, there's a frog. I'm done. No, you take it and you get your little scalpel and your little tweezers and you, you slice and you, you spread and you use pins to hold that down. And then we go a little step deeper and then we slice that and we pull that out and we label that and we put that there. And then we break it again and we slice that and we pull it down. You dissect, you're examining, you're scrutinizing. The word means to convict. It's like a judicial term. To convince, to persuade or to influence to disprove or to deny correction. Whenever the word of God is properly communicated, it should confront its hearers with some correction. That's what Paul said. Paul said, correct, to to reprove. And so what does that mean? That means that the word of God, when it's preached, when it's the real word of God and the real word of God is preached, there ought to be some correction coming with that. Whenever the word is properly communicated, it should be confronted. It should confront its hearers with a moral crisis. I like that. Anytime the word of God, the true word of God is truly preached, everyone that hears it should be present with a moral crisis. What does it mean? Moral means I have to make a decision, right or wrong. Crisis means, okay, well, moral is right or wrong. Crisis means a decision. Okay. Every time the word of God is preached, there should be some type of moral crisis so that those that hear are compelled to choose for the path of righteousness or choose against the path of righteousness. So the way you the way you know that the preacher or whoever's saying the word of God is truly preaching the word of God is that there is in that message, in that word, some moral crisis where I, the hearer, you, the hearer, need to make a decision. Am I going to go with righteousness and follow the path of righteousness or I'm not going to follow the path of righteousness. Every time the word is preached, there should be a moral crisis there. And it has to do with saying, okay, carefully examine what the word says and then examine my life and make sure that my life lines up with that. And if the word is being preached or if something is being preached and there's no moral crisis there, there's no one compelling you to make a decision. Then I challenge whether that's not the word of God or not, because Paul said when you preach the word correct. Has to do with the mind. It has to do with. Uh, 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 taking and understanding what is wrong. The next word is to rebuke. The rebuke there means to find fault with or, or, or to censor or to denounce or to de- express strong disapproval of. That has to do with the heart. 
So it's two things. When the word of God has been preached, there are to be some mind stuff going on and some heart stuff going on. The mind stuff means there has to be a decision that the mind has to make. Am I going to do what God says or I'm going to not do what God says? The heart part, the, 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 the rebuking part has to do with the heart. The question there becomes, rebuke means that sin is not only pointed out, because that's what happens over here with the reproof. Correction means sin is pointed out. God says that this is sin. So your decision, hearers, is to, am I going to obey God and not sin? Or am I going to not obey God and sin? That's a decision. That's the mind. The heart part or the rebuking part has to do with not only is sin pointed out, but it's condemned. Okay? And so... The reproof part, point out what sin is. The Bible says this is sin. 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 Rebuke has to do with, and because it's sin, it's condemned. And so true preaching of the word comes with condemning sin. A lot of people, churches, pastors don't do that anymore. Don't condemn sin. Especially these days. Not a lot of condemning of sin going on. It's more of pleasing. What can I say? What can I do to make everybody happy? What can I say to do to make sure everybody comes and has a good time instead of condemning what sin actually is? More concerned with pleasing and filling the seats than calling sin what it is. If there is no condemnation of sin, meaning that's bad, that's wrong, that's against the word of God, disapproval of it, then that's not the word of God. The word of God has to be both correction, dealing with the mind, and it has to be reproving, rebuking, dealing with the heart. I'll put it another way, reproof or correction has to do with understanding that this is wrong. Rebuke has to do with the conviction that you, I, am guilty of it. To reprove someone is to disapprove their error with reasonable biblical argument. It is to reveal what is wrong because it's unbiblical. That's what reproof is. That's what correction is. It's saying, hey, that's wrong. Why? Because you feel like it? No. Why? Because you don't like it? No. Why? Because it hurts you? No. Why? Because it doesn't feel good? No. Why? It's wrong because it's unbiblical. That's where right and wrong comes from. And so when the word of God preached, I need to hear, we need to hear what is biblical, what is unbiblical, because of what the Bible says. It's to show what God says and therefore reveal sin. The rebuking part is now to convict the sinner of the sin. This is an interesting thing I was looking at this weekend. In all the messages that Jesus preached, how many times do you think he preached about the love of God? All the messages that are recorded that Jesus preached, how often did he preach about the love of God? I'll make it easy for you. Zero. Not one message of Jesus was about how much God loves you. How he just loves you so much. Not, not once. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Jesus' main messages was sin and repent. That's what he was saying. That's all he was saying. He was pointing out sin, and he was saying he needed to repent. That's what his message was. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It just means that what we see today in the world is now all the messages are all the way on the other side. You don't see a lot of messages or a lot of people pointing out what sin is and rebuking sin and calling it what it is because it's unbiblical. 
preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. He finally gives us something positive there, encourage. Encourage means to, the word there has to do with joining up along somebody, coming along somebody, helping them out. Not only the word of God is supposed to point out what sin is, it's unbiblical. Not only is preaching should show the guilt, condemn the sin, the word of God is supposed to be able to line up with people and to help them to get from their sin to where they're supposed to be. That's where the love comes in. But it can only come in when it's been surrounded with the correction and the rebuking. You can't just pick and choose. Well, I'm going to do this part and not that part and not this part. No. There are things that are unbiblical, need to point them out. There are times when I am unbiblical and I sin, needs to be pointed out. Then there's time when I need encouragement from the word. That's the threefold portion of the word of God. With great patience, Paul says, and careful instruction. Instruction has to do with doctrine. Why is doctrine so important? What's the big deal with doctrine? Doctrine, the word there, is the same word for instruction and teaching. What I like about that is teaching is instruction by the mouth with the intent to influence the understanding and therefore shape the will. I'm going to say that again because that was so cool when I was reading it. (laughs) Teaching or doctrine, what Paul says, preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction or careful doctrine, your scriptures might say. Teaching is instruction from the mouth with the intent to, pay attention, influence the understanding and thereby shape the will. So two things we're trying to do. Influence the understanding, which will shape the will. W-I-L-L. Influence the understanding, which will shape the will. What do we mean by those words? What's understanding? Understanding, and I had to look this up. Understanding is the psychological process whereby one is able to think about something and use those concepts to adequately deal with it. Meaning to think and then to yield to the influence of what one knows. So understanding has to do with I'm going to think about something. I'm going to take some time. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to understand it. And once I think about it, now I'm going to yield to the influence of what I know about it. Okay? So I think of something. This is the oven. It's flaming hot right now. So I'm going to think about it. Okay, the oven is, top of the oven is flaming hot. Heat gives off energy. Very painful. Okay. Put my hand, oh, that's very hot. So I'm thinking about it. Now I'm going to use concepts to be influenced by what I know. So being that I know that that is hot, I'm going to be influenced by what I know and not what? And not touch it. So I'm going to be influenced by what I know because I thought about it. That's what understanding means. Understanding means thinking about something and using concepts to deal according to what you know or to allow what you know to influence what you do. That's what understanding is. So teaching is instruction by the mouth and is intended to influence understanding. I want to teach, I want to learn something. Because I'm going to take that knowledge and I'm going to think about it and then I'm going to be influenced by it. I'm going to do something or not do something based on what I was taught. That's what our understanding is. So 
Teaching is to tend to influence understanding, therefore to shape the will. So what is will? Will, W-I-L-L, is the faculty of the mind which selects the strongest desire amongst all the desires that are there. Okay? So your will. Heard the term, be strong will? Want to be strong will? Your will is a faculty of the mind which selects the strongest desire from all the desires that are present. So will is not a particular desire. It's your ability to select a desire. So at one time, I may be both hungry and sleepy. So I have a desire to eat and I have a desire to sleep. I put it this way. I have a desire to be very, very fit. Okay? I want to be about 185. That's my desire. I also have a desire of Haagen-Dazs Douce de Leche ice cream. Okay? So those are two desires that I have. I have a desire to be healthy and to fit, and I also have a desire to eat a lot of ice cream. So those are two desires. Will, W-I-L-L, is the faculty of the mind that allows me to select the strongest desire at that given time. Sometimes the strongest desire at that given time is hunger dosh, douce de leche, ice cream. And so my will chooses that one because that desire is the strongest. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh no, this is ridiculous. I can't wear these pants. So I have to take them off and find some other pants that I can wear. Sad and pathetic. Because of that, I say, you know what? This week, I am hitting the gym. No ice cream. And so I have a desire. I still love ice cream. I still have a desire. But my desire to put my pants on in the morning is a little bit stronger. You see what I'm saying? And so my will chooses the strongest desire. Teaching is instruction that is intent is to influence the understanding to shape the will. In order for my will to be able to choose the strongest desire, my will has got to be stronger. How do I strengthen my will? My will is strengthened by my understanding. Okay? So I need to understand. Understand means there's a concept, there's something there, and I'm going to think about it, and then I'm going to be influenced by what I know about it. And so teaching gives us to knowledge to understand so we can be influenced by it, which strengthens my will, so now my will is strong enough to make the right choice. Those desires are always going to be there. All those desires will be there. The strongest desire is what my will chooses. So how do I make sure my will chooses right or correctly the strongest desire? Well, my desires should be lined up with the word, which means that my will needs to be lined up with the word, which needs to be lined up with my understanding, which should be lined up with the word. And that comes from biblical teaching, biblical doctrine. So if you look at it, biblically Driven decisions, because we all make decisions in life. I can either choose ice cream or I can hit the gym. We all make decisions in life. So biblically driven decisions are based upon my biblically driven desires. And those desires, the choosing of those are based on my biblically driven will. 
the thing that chews the strongest desire. And that will is based on biblically driven understanding, which is based on biblically driven doctrine and instruction. This is why we need to hear and understand and be taught the word of God, because only when I'm taught the Bible am I able to make Bible decisions. See, the reason we make jacked up decisions. The reason I choose wrong is because my will isn't driven by the Bible because my will, which is influenced by my understanding, isn't driven by the word of God because I have a lack of understanding. I know that's hot, but I'm not influenced by it, so I touch it. The reason why my influence isn't driven biblically because I'm not being taught the word of God. That's what doctrine is. That's why we have to learn. That's why I have to study. That's why I have to take this and chop it up. That's why you have to dissect it. That's why it's got to come with rebuke, correction, and reproof and encouragement. Why? Because only through doctrine, only through the teaching of the proper, healthy word of God will my desires be lined up so that my will will choose the right one every time because my understanding is lined up with the word, all because of the fact that my doctrine has been given to me from the word of God. Psalms 119, 130 says, unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And so I need to be taught the word of God every, every, every day so that my decisions that my will chooses will be based on the understanding of the word of God. Paul says that for a time will come, verse three, when the people will not put up with sound doctrine or sound instruction. And what happens when my instruction is jacked up? That means my understanding will be jacked up. And when my understanding is jacked up, that means my will, the ability to choose the strongest desire, will be jacked up. And if my will is jacked up, that means that my desires will be jacked up, which means that my decisions are going to be messed up. And so think about all the bad decisions you made. Everybody, for one second. Think about the last bad decision you made. Got it? Now think about the time right before you made the decision. What were your desires at that time? Right before you made the decision. What were your desires? Because you had a choice. It's a list of desires there. Desire to do what's right. Desire to be obedient to your parents. Desire to be a good husband, a good wife. Desire to be an honorable American citizen. A desire to make the right decision. You have all these desires there. And right before that desire, think about the second before you chose it. How strong was your will to choose the right one? Was it easy for you to just choose the wrong decision? Did you struggle with it? Did you wrestle with it? And then take a step back and think before you made that decision to choose that desire, what was your understanding right then? What did you know? And why weren't you influenced by what you know? Paul says that it's going to come a time when people will not put up with sound. That word means healthy. People will not put up with healthy doctrine, healthy instruction. Instead, the opposite of healthy is unhealthy. Instead, they will do what suits their own desires and will gather around them a great number of teachers that say what they want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. My biblical desires 
allow me to choose biblical decisions. But Paul says it's going to come a time when no one wants to hear sound or healthy doctrine, healthy instruction. And so instead of following God's desire, they want to follow their own desires. I say they don't want to hear it. And so people don't preach it because if they preach it, they're going to leave. They're not going to come because they want to hear and be pacified with their own desires. They will gather around them great number of preachers will say what their itching ears want to hear. No rebuking, no correcting, no reproofing. Just a lot of encouraging. Oh, your blessing's on the way. Turn to your neighbor. A lot of encouraging, a lot of love, a lot of stuff, which we need to have, but it can't be void of the rebuking and the correcting and the reproofing. Paul says that they can turn away from the truth and turn to myths. Our only great protection is always the word of God. We are to treasure the truth, to love the truth, to be impassioned by the truth, to rejoice in the truth, and to know the truth. I end with this. Uh, it's, it's interesting. And I know you're saying, oh, we keep harping on this topic with these current events. Turn one book back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thought this was interesting, and I was reading about it, talking about the truth. Paul said they're going to turn away from the truth and rather listen to a myth. The word there for truth has to do with revealing what is actually reality. Myth has to do with, and the word there is interesting because it's like someone closing, putting their hand over their eyes, and rather listen to fables. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3 says this, As I urge you, this is still Paul talking to Timothy, I went to Macedonia, stayed there from Ephesus, so you may commend Uh, You may command certain people not to teach, watch this, false doctrines. Do not teach false doctrines any longer. Or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. He said you need to stay with the truth. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is faith. The goal of this command is love. Watch this. The goal of this command is love. The goal of this command is love. Paul's talking about the truth instead of myth. So, okay, Paul, what is biblical love? We need to show love. 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 What's biblical love? Paul says the goal of this command is to show love, which comes from, this is how we show love, from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Look at those words. Pure, good, and sincere. That's biblical love. Pure means free from corrupt desire, free from sin, free from guilt, Free from what is false, it is filled with the truth. Our love, to love biblically, means to come with the truth. The other word is good. Good means upright, honorable, and excellence. And then sincere. Sincere means authentic, truthful, open, plain, unashamed, without suppression. See, we have turned the word love into, I got to love you, and I'm not going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to pull this part back, and I'm just going to show you love. When biblical love means that I am authentic, I am truthful, without suppression. Biblical love is free from, desire, from corrupt desire, free from what is false, and is filled with the truth. You cannot have biblical love without the truth. We cannot have biblical love. We cannot show biblical love without the truth. And it's got to be all of the truth. That's what Paul says. That's what the scripture is saying. We have to get back to sound doctrine. So what do we do? Well, 
I'm going to do the metaphor test this week. Fire, hammer, and the sword. And I'm going to take the word of God and pull it into my life and see what it burns up, see what it destroys, and see what it cuts up. I'm going to make sure that I look at the word for what's the moral crisis when I read the scriptures. What is the decision I have to make? I'm going to make sure I line up everything what the Bible says, and I want to really make sure, and I encourage you this week, guys, get some healthy doctrine of the truth and allow that teaching to shape your understanding so you'll be influenced by what you know, which influences your will, your ability to make the right decision, to choose their strongest desire so your desires are biblical, then you make the right decision. So what do I need? I need biblical decisions. How do I get that? By having biblical desires. How do I get that? By having a biblically driven will. How do I get that? By having biblical driven understanding, which only comes from the word of God. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, God. We pray in this time uh, of falsehoods and, 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 and myths that we will lean toward the truth, God. That we will allow your word to instruct us, God, and that we will apply our lives to your word so that we will have understanding. And I will think about things, God, and I will carefully allow what I know to influence my choices so that my will will be strong and I will have a biblical will, God, that chooses the correct desire every single time so that my desires will be lined up with your word. Therefore, my decisions will also be lined up with your word and I can live a life that's holy and acceptable and pleasing unto you in this day and age. Thank you for your word, God. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 The Bolden sisters are going to be doing prayer requests and praise reports. Amen.